Welcome to What's Happening in 40K. Your daily dose of all things Warhammer 40,000. Each day, Monday through Friday, we explore the Warhammer 40,000 tournament scene. And bring you the latest news, updates, and opinions. So, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a newcomer to the hobby, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us as we delve into the world of 40K. Here's your host, Mufasa. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode and today we are doing a bit of a different take on asking somebody how their event went we're going to ask them how their event went if they were playing their opponents lists and we have none other than the manchester super major champion manny chima with us manny how are you doing hi mate i'm doing good thanks thank you for having me on again it's uh, always really cool to film content with you Third, third time lucky. Uh, I mean, all the other episodes we've been speaking to you about have been off the back of a uh, tournament win or second place after Southampton. Obviously, to give a bit of background, you've won the Manchester Super Major. You've done it with Dark Angels again. And uh, obviously, all the content we did leading up to the event and uh, since the event has been focusing mostly on uh, the the new meta that's arrived as a result of Desolation Marines. and oh, obviously boring, boring Desolation Marines. Yeah, exactly. So obviously <laughs> everyone knows by now that um, you had your standard block of Terminators backed up by less Desolation Marines. And uh, instead of talking about that list, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your opponents' lists? So just give us a quick rundown about the factions you played rounds one through seven. Yeah, so... Um... In round one, I played against um, a lad called Reese with um, with guard. So I was going straight into guard round one, um, and I was I was feeling quite confident as the Dark Angel player, knowing that the Desolation Marines were put in there after after playing David uh, Gaylord at Southampton. The Desolation Marines were put in there to deal with sort of things like mortars and Kasakin. So I was quite glad actually that I was going to get to see at the start of the event how that was going to go. But um, when looking at my opponent's list, of course, I was I was looking through going, man, there's like there's three demon Russes. There's also a tank commander and there's also a Rogal Dawn battle tank. So I was looking down going, wow, there's there's like four or five tanks that are toughness eight or toughness nine. So if my opponent plays this right as the guard player, this could present quite a bit of a challenge considering the only anti-tank I have in my list now because the attack bikes have gone, which were reliable anti-tank, because those have gone, I've got a little bit more swingy anti-tank firepower in my Desolation Marines. Now, I was feeling confident against the Kasakin. I was like, I think I can pick those up fairly quickly and the mortars, but I don't really have very many speeders anymore or things that I need to protect from mortars. So it kind of shifted the dynamic a little bit in that I was geared to kill the stuff that was killing my speeders before, but now that I don't have very many speeders, I don't need to kill those things really. So it was kind of like a little bit weird. However, my opponent put all of their tanks on one side of their deployment. And um, I feel like if the tanks were a little bit more spread out, like two or three on each flank, it would have made it a little bit harder for me. Um, because it meant that I could bring, when they came down the one side and hit a squad of Terminators, I could always make sure that it was the minus one damage squad they were hitting. And because I managed to pick up the Kasakin quite easily, there weren't very many things in their army because they didn't have any Sentinels that were benefiting from the Finial anymore. 
So I the minus one damage on the Terminators actually worked really well against the tanks as they could only hit that one unit. Now, as the guard player, if I would have spread out and gone down both flanks, I could have gone for either Terminator Brick or I could have gone, okay, you've you put the minus one damage on this one. Well, my my one or two tanks that are sort of towards the middle of the board, they'll shift on the side of the flank where you don't have the minus one damage. So essentially, I've only got like one tank, maybe two that's ineffective against the minus one damage, but the other four are all hitting the flank where you've actually got a Terminator squad that's got no buffs on them. And I didn't have an apothecary at this event either, which um, I think is one change I would make to the list. I would put the apothecary back in. Um, However, I didn't have one. So, you know, if the guard player would have realized that and then hammered down, sort of like split up, hammered down on the squad with no buffs on them, I wouldn't be able to bring any back. And that would have put me in a little bit more of a tough situation. Okay, so guard play mistake there by splitting by not splitting up his offensive. But if you were playing guard yourself and you had this matchup, what do you think would be an MVP type unit? What would you put into a guard list, given the meta is how it is right now, to deal with your Dark Angel list? Yeah, so um, one thing is, Kasakin are still very scary. That they they are they are just very very scary. However, like my opponent, the the list that they were running, they only had the one unit of Kasakin. And of course it was the um it was the Barbican's key unit. So they they started on the board kind of thing, and they were just hoping to be far enough back that only my Venga launchers could shoot them. Um and that was true. Only the Venga launchers could shoot them, but the Venga launchers picked up like six of them. And at that point the unit's not very effective. Um but I think adding in a couple extra transports would really help against an army like the Dark Angels. Or especially any any marine faction that's got desolators in there. Guard could actually counter back a little bit by having, say, two transports. Like um, a, a Torox and a Chimera, or double Chimera, just to put two units of 10 Kasakin in, because they are still very, very scary when they come out of these tanks. Because I believe there is a... Um, well, one unit would be able to get out after the Chimera is moved and still be able to shoot. Uh, but I believe there's a stratagem that Guard can use when they disembark from a transport that gives them full rerolls to wound anyway. So they don't get the full rerolls to hit, but they get full rerolls to wound. And you can bring them out in range of reroll ones to hit. So they can actually still be very, very scary, and they could maybe they wouldn't be able to do six mortal wounds across three different units, but they would most definitely be able to do them across two different units or something like that. So, you know, when someone's got sort of like two Terminator bricks like myself, that could kind of kill three Terminators from each unit. And if he did that twice, you know, like a guard player, if he turned one, he just went, okay, there's three Terminators dead from each squad, and then, okay, you've killed all the Kasakin that got out, very nice, and then next turn I send out my other unit, and they kill three each, all of a sudden I've killed, you know, 12 Terminators with just 200 points of Kasakin, and you've only got, like, two little units of four left, and at that point my Lehman Russes are not particularly scared of pressing up the board, and the Desolators can't deal with your whole army in one go, like we, like we just said, the tanks can be a little bit of a problem. Interesting. So more transports are the answer to uh, the Desolation Marines if you're playing guard. Obviously, probably have to lose a couple of other things to get those points in because they're not the most point sufficient unit. Otherwise, we would have already seen people replaying them. But who did you play in round two, Manny? So um, in round two, I played against David Carr. And this was actually quite an interesting game. So I played against David Carr, who was using uh, Necrons. And I found this a little bit diff- difficult. Because going into it, I, I, I knew. So if you have a look through my round one to round five score, 
um, that round was my lowest scoring round. Now, it was still 93 points. It was still 93 points. So it wasn't particularly low. But you've got to remember, I've bought a list that's tailored to scoring as close to 100 points as possible against pretty much any matchup. So I was trying to max out my score in all these games. And in that game, I got 93. So it was my lowest scoring round. And that the reason for that is I was playing David on Data Scry Salvage. Now, in my opinion, that's the worst mission to have to go up against the Nihilak um, Dynasty Necrons on because they're all objective secured. The entire army is objective secured. And you're trying to fight for all the objectives in the middle of the board. So Data Scry Salvage is the one where there's one objective in your deployment zone, each of you, and then there are four diagonally down the middle of the board that you're trying to fight over. Now, if every single one of his units is objective secured, it's quite hard to take those objectives over. So I knew I was going to have to engage him in the middle, but the problem for me was that there were two Catans. So Catans are awesome. However, my opponent in this game got a little unlucky. So the Catans, uh, I feel like he should have switched his powers up a little bit. So um, he switched his Times Arrow out um, for another Sky of Falling Stars. And he kept the Transdimensional Thunderbolt. And the other one kept the Antimatter Meteor. Now, I feel like what should have happened here is Times Arrow should have been kept and the transdimensional thunderbolt should have been switched out for the second sky of falling stars. So sky of falling stars guys just to let you know the katan gets to pick three targets does not need line of sight. Just gets to pick three different units and you roll a d6. If it's underneath their squad size, always fails on a 6, but if it's underneath their squad size, they take d3 mortal wounds. Now when I've got two big bricks of 10 terminators and a big brick of um 10 desolators, that's pretty much going to go off all the time, and all three squads are going to take D3 more wounds. Now, if he's doing that twice a turn, he's killing like two Desolators, and then he's killing one and a half Terminators from each squad. So he's killing a good chunk just with one power reach from the Catan, and then there's the other power coming in, and this is why I feel like he should have kept Time's Arrow. And he should have then, the following turn, swapped the Antimatter Meteor on the second Transcendent Catan for a second Time's Arrow, because Time's Arrow is if the Catan can see an enemy unit, I believe this one needs line of sight, but if they can see an enemy unit, they can just roll a d6, and if it equals or exceeds your wound characteristic, you get to choose one model from your squad, but it's dead. So he would look at my Terminators and go, on a 3-up, a Terminator's just dead. You know, and there's a good chance that he could look at a unit, do that twice with two Catan, then hit them with two Sky Falling Stars, and all of a sudden that one unit's down like four Terminators, another one's down one and a half Terminators, and you're down two or three Desolators as well. And that coming in every turn could be very, very nasty. However, he chose not to go for those powers. Um, but I think he was just trialing out all the different units in Necrons, because if you look at his list, it's a very balanced list. There's one unit of Warriors, one unit of Scorpec Destroyers, uh, one unit of Wraiths, one unit of Tomb Blades, and one unit of Locust Heavy Destroyers, and then a single Ghost Ark and the Silent King. So quite a lot of the units, there were just one-off, because I believe he was, he was coming to the event to test which units were good in the list and which ones weren't as efficient. Awesome. So the answer to your question then is to take more Catan, more mortal wounds. Who would have thought taking as many mortal wounds as possible would be a good strategy for doing <laughs> But uh, speaking of mortal wounds, in round three, I believe you played 
uh, demons, was it? So obviously yes. another potent source of mortal wounds there. So tell us a little bit about that list and uh, what you think could be done to improve it. Yeah, so I played against Hader from um, from Team Iceland, and he was using a pure Slanesh demons list. And I've I've heard about this list. Um, I've heard about this list uh, doing the rounds and over in Europe, and it's really, really good. And I wanted to see what it looked like on the table, and I hadn't seen it yet. So it was actually really cool to be playing against Hader. Um, and he's a really nice guy, great opponent. So it was awesome, awesome to play it. And the list surprised me. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, it didn't go down as quickly as I thought. And this one didn't have that many mortal wounds. It didn't have like a, a mass amount of mortal wounds it could inflict. But the fiends, the fiends are so good in this list. They, I believe they move 14 inches and then charge. So they're a lot faster than me. They have, they definitely have the speed advantage. I move five and then charge. They move an extra nine inches on top. They moved more than I can possibly advance with a regular move and then can charge on top of that. So they definitely have the speed element over me. But the feats are very tough. They have that annoying fourth wound. So even my uh, my Venga launcher that's flat three damage is very quite inefficient against them. Uh, he has a power where he can put feel no pain on a squad of them. And all of a sudden you're like, I've got six bodies with four wounds each with a four up invulnerable save against shooting for demon save and then a five up feel no pain. They become actually very, very tough to take down. And I believe if we look at Hader's scores, I'm just going to quickly have a look. I believe he won every other game. But that one. Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I don't know. Yes, yeah. So he won in he in games one and two. He got 95 and 94 points. Then he lost to the Dark Angels, and then in games four and five, he got 90 and 97 points. So he didn't just win his games; he absolutely smashed his games in every every other round because the list is it's deceptively fast, but also it can be deceptively tough as well. So I really liked his list. But he made a small error, and we spoke about it at the end of the game, about things that he could have done differently. And there was one turn where he'd come in with his fiends, because me going first, of course, out of line of sight, I did manage to pick up a fair amount of fiends. I think I killed four from a big unit, but he bought one back, so only three were dead. And then he charged him with a big six-man unit and that three-man unit. Now, that was, that was one mistake, because I had two CPs. So after the six-man unit had fought, and it did a big, big punch. It killed like six Terminators, which is huge. It just came in, wiped six Terminators out in one shot, but then the four that were surviving interrupted and killed the other three so he lost one entire unit of fiends without actually doing a single wound with them and i think that's something that you can't afford to do against dark angels i listened to your um to your podcast episode with vic um the mm. other day and vic was talking about using your resources very carefully when playing into dark angels because if you give them too many resources without trading well enough you're going to lose and that's essentially what happened here like an entire you know i think it's like a 200 point unit there that just yeah 180 point unit that's just died before it's killed a single model and then the other ones then get picked up picked up because they charged me of course they killed like seven terminators they did their job but then they go down and i did that with combat with my other unit of 10 terminators so it meant all of my firepower then went into his third unit of fiends and they also went down to one man so all of a sudden all the fiends are dead and there's only there's only you know six terminators dead so what hader decided to do at that point 
was come in with all of his demonettes, all 60 that were in reserve, and charge with all of them, failing three of the charges, unfortunately. So only half of the demonettes that he wanted to get in actually got into me, along with two of the squads on the board. So like 50-odd got into me. But then he had forgotten about my stratagem, um, the line unbreakable, which we were talking about. So I went, okay, I'm going to spend one CP and I'm going to use um, the line unbreakable. So only models within one inch can actually fight me. Because when he was making his charges from reserve, he had to string his demonettes backwards so that all of them had the same six inch charge. So he had two at the front and then they were ranked in ranks of two going deep. And some of the charges he rolled were only a six or seven inch charge, which was just about enough to get him into combat. So after I used that stratagem, some of the units only had four or five demonets. One of them had eight and one of them had seven, but then the others only had like four or five demonets that could actually get into combat, meaning he only killed like three Terminators total. And then th at that point, he had 50 demonets in my lines, and I he made the mistake of tagging my desolators. So he asked me, he was like, can they fall back and shoot? I was like, yes, they can, but it's 2 CP, and of course, I won't have 2 CP. I'll only go up to 1, so I won't be able to fall back and shoot. So he decided to tag them all, but then, of course, they get a bucket of attacks. Like, the unit of 10 then gets 21 attacks, and that just picked up a whole unit of 10 demonets. So he underestimated how much damage my marines would do with the butts of their guns. Interesting. So if you're playing uh, demons, maybe the answer is not to take 60 demonets and charge because uh, the chances of you bouncing off that, that, that power armor seems to be higher than, than I expected. But uh, what, what change would you make to that list? Would you just default to a more standard Disciples of Bellicourt type list? What, what can demons do to be better into Dark Angels? Sir? So I, I do actually really, really like the list that he had, but I think the problem was he needed to pace himself. So he needed to go slowly over the game. Whereas what he did was he just went all in one go, which meant that by turn two, like he literally deep did that deep strike move in his second turn, meaning that at that point, I then picked up like 50 demonets. So all that was left on the board was like a unit of five, a unit of six, and then two characters. That's okay, all so... that was left going into his turn three. So he needed to just pace himself because the list was actually very good. And his secondaries were also very good as well. It was like reality rebels. If you survive to the end of the game, you've pretty much maxed that as demons. So he did have good secondaries. He just went all out, which I don't think was the right move. Okay, so potentially they're a counter. You know, we just need to play, maybe practice that matchup a little bit more. And, the, you know, Icelandic guys and lots of the people on the continent who are playing these sort of skew spam lists, you know, they're big on TTS. So I'm sure there'll be some practice going on there. And if it is a counter, I'm sure we'll see it appear more for anyone that can afford to go out and buy a bunch of demonets. So, uh, yeah, I have I have actually seen um, in, in certain demon lists a tech piece like in Disciples of Bellacore that Dom Maidlow was using this weekend. And I believe uh, I played against Ewan, um, who was using the at beachhead the beachhead uh, event and he had a unit of three beasts of nurgle and in disciples of bellacore i believe bellacore can give them full rerolls to hit and then the squad of three gets 18 attacks and every time they roll a six to hit it just does two mortal wounds on the enemy um so you know you should go in there you should get like three uh, sixes then you re-roll everything that's not a six because those are the attacks that do all the damage and all of a sudden you should get six sixes and six sixes is 12 mortal wounds so you can kill four or five terminators just with your hit rolls from one unit and then they are annoyingly hard to kill back as well they are so also annoyingly, a really nice uh, tech piece. 
annoyingly hard models to get a hold of as well i think yeah <laughs> very uh, expensive he's super expensive yeah um all right well in round four you played guard which obviously we've already covered but then in round five you played into tau so how did that game go and uh what is the play for tau these days against dark angels so actually um i was quite scared of going into kyle on this game because in the same round um my teammate Chris Canair went into um, Felix and his tout as well. And we were both quite concerned going into the game because we were talking about it and we were like, well, this is our worst mission. And it really is. Mission five is the worst mission for us because it's the one where you have to plant the bombs. I believe it's called tear down their icons. Now on this mission, if you look at the LGT boards, um, the, the one issue with this deployment is that all of the objectives in No Man's Land are all out in the open. You cannot hide and hold even a single one of them. Only the one in your deployment zone. And it makes it really, really hard as well because the the tertiary mission for this, the tertiary objective for this mission is so terrible because it's planting bombs. It's not an easy one to do. It's a fairly hard one for quite a lot of lists to do. And... Um, that piled on the on top of the fact that there's only one objective you can hide and hold, it's normally one where your primary points get tanked a little bit, unless you can go all out at your opponent. So I knew Kyle's actually got a lot more shooting than I have. He's a Tau army. And then I was looking at the board going, anything I put out on these middle objectives is just going to die. So looking at it from Kyle's perspective, what he did was actually very good. He deployed his Riptide, put two of them fairly aggressively, one of them a little further back. And then he kind of deployed so that he had the option of what to do. Like if he went first, he, he could have picked Moncar and he could have gone all out at me. But because he went second, he picked Kaoyon and then he got to redeploy three units. So he redeployed them backwards and hid them behind the big 9x9L. So I didn't have any targets any for my for my big shots. I wasn't going to kill any of his, his really good resources that were good at killing my Terminators. And I was going to have to walk into it. So that was actually quite concerning. I think Kyle played that. He played that really well uh, at that point. Um, but because of the way he backed off, what it let me do was turn the board into a little bit of a Dawn of War style. So what I said to Kyle at the end was when he had his Riptides on the left flank and then he shoved them all behind his big L, he could have kept two of them in the middle L that was at the front of his deployment zone because I wouldn't have been able to shoot into there except for with three Desolators because we measured it at the start when he was trying to hide. I was like, yeah, the, the Desolators can move out six from my small ruin on the edge of my deployment zone, but only three of them will be able to see the Riptide. So I'll only get three super crack shots. Now, I as the tower player would have taken that risk and had those two Riptides in that middle ruin because it would have stopped me from making the game into Dawn of War. And the reason why that's so significant is the pressure got piled onto Kyle. So the points don't actually reflect what happened on the table. The points are 97.51, but the game was actually a lot closer than that but the pressure was piled onto kyle because i was able to turn it dawn of war it meant that one of my talent masters with the other one got to start going slightly into kyle's territory your opponent's territory which is the other half of the board from yourself um and then start planting bombs and my one talent master managed to plant three bombs and my banner dude 
planted a fourth bomb, but it was like Talon Master, Talon Master, then the banner, and then Talon Master again. So I managed to plant four bombs in this mission, giving me an additional 16 points on the primary. And because Kyle could see I was doing that, and he couldn't really plant any bombs, he had to go for one all-out shooting turn, which we all know if that goes a little bit wrong, the game is over at that point, which is essentially what happened. Interesting. So if you were a Tau player now starting to write a list from scratch specifically to counter against Dark Angels, would you just play to Kyle's list and play it differently? Or is there some unit or tech piece in the Tau codex you think is going to be especially good into Dark Angels? So um, what was good was the, the Devilfish that he had. I, I really liked the Devilfish. I would maybe put a third one in because I know a lot of Tau players have got that. They've got the Devilfish in there to be able to pre-game move um, and then sort of spend the CPs for it to move again and then the the guys to get out and do the action or they with your pregame move they can normally get out and do the action anyway on the quarters I believe they're called aerospace that uh, that one uh, I forget what it's called but it's like aerospace relays or something like that and it's a tau secondary where they've got to get within six inches of the center of each battlefield edge and they can do that very quickly so it's really nice for that and it gets your points up high but um dark angel players really have to respect that in my opinion because like my list for example i don't really have any forward deploy so if kyle wanted to pre-game move his devilfish i would have no way of like stopping that or limiting the way that they move so they could come 12 inches directly up to me and the reason why i think i'd put three in a list is because if you go second you can choose which one you want Moncar or or Kaoyon and you just go into the one that lets you redeploy three units and you can pull all three devilfish back so you can start off with all three devilfish on the front line you don't go first pull them back if you do go first you can go for Moncar you can pre-game move the three of them I believe and they can come 12 inches forward then you can spend one CP I believe it is one CP for all three of them to move again and then the guys get out inside and when they're coming into your deployment zone and then moving and shooting from there, it can be quite scary because, of course, the things you wouldn't go for, the Terminators, but what you would go for is like the land speeders in a list because quite often what I go for is behind enemy lines. Like I did against Kyle here, I went for behind enemy lines, and if he could have you know, had the resources to come forward like that and kill two of my land speeders, I would all of a sudden be really stretched for that secondary. Interesting. So more Devilfishes on the horizon. And then, of course, you made it your way into the final where you played against Iron Hands and then Space Wolves. So we'll rephrase the question a little bit for the final rounds. Why don't you tell us not what you change about these lists to make them better into Dark Angels, but if you had to choose against any Space Marine faction and any list build to beat Dark Angels, the list you would have liked to have played against the least in the final, what would it be and why? Um, so actually, this is this is quite interesting. I I really like this question because um, going into the event, I felt that Space Wolves, specifically the list that Chris Kinnear and Alex Harrison were playing, and then Iron Hands played by Brian and Innes were bad matchups for my list. I did feel that, and that's who I was playing in the top. We got to that top cut, and it was Innes, Brian. Harrison and me. So I was like, wow, this is three lists that I would consider have the slight edge over me. And I don't mean bad matchups as in, oh, I can never win this game. I mean bad matchups as in it's slightly tilted in their favor. Um, but in any other mission, this would have been true. So I had to get a little bit lucky here. So the only mission where I am slightly favored over the Iron Hands matchup is the scouring. And luckily for me, I played Innis's Iron Hands in the scouring. 
And the reason why that comes to, to you know, be is if you look at the points, the game was 90 to 77. Very, very close game, only 13 points in it. And the reason for that is I can take stubborn defiance in this mission. And this is the only mission in the entire pack where I can take stubborn defiance and get 15 points because the objective is outside of my deployment zone. However, the aura of three inches of an objective comes one inch into my deployment zone, meaning I can actually start on my stubborn defiance objective, which I can't do in any other game. And then I can be on it with obsec from the first turn and I can be hidden while holding that objective. That was absolutely huge. So it meant that Innes had to start making big plays that necessarily he didn't necessarily want to be making. And that slightly tilted that matchup into my favor. However, in any other mission, I believe the Iron Hands are at a slight advantage. And I also got slightly lucky in the fact that Harrison then went on to beat Brian. So I didn't have to play Iron Hands in the final game. So the question, the answer to your question is Iron Hands. Definitely Iron Hands is the one that I did not want to play at this event, especially Innocent Brian, unless it was in that one mission that was better for me. Very interesting. So there is a counter out there. You just have to make sure you get the matchup at the right time, which is obviously what we like about a relatively balanced meta. Obviously, Dark Angel is still dominating at the top. But if there are, you know, legitimate choices people can be making about which factions they bring if they're playing out to you know to win the thing i think guard are still very much up there people just need to tech a little bit for the new meta and uh, i'm sure we'll see some interesting results coming out of the london open which is our next event in 15th and 16th of april and then of course we've got teams where dark angels will be just one of the factions most teams are represented with and then rounding out ninth edition we have the bristol super major which we expect, if all things considered, the Games Workshop released 10th around the same time they released 9th, then that will probably be the last Super Major of 9th edition. So we hope to see you all there. Manny, thank you so much for coming on the show. And what's the uh, next event we'll be seeing you at? Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am thinking about making the journey up to the London Open. Um, but I am uh, I'm at the Eight Nations this weekend, and I'm switching over to Space Wars, which are my favorite chapter, and I haven't played them since 7th edition. So I'm super excited to be playing Space Wars for an event. Um, and yeah, I think I will be coming to the London Open, but I'm not sure I'll be bringing Dark Angels. I might be bringing something else because I think loads of people will now be teching for the Desolators. Very true, very true. So Manny, thanks again for coming on the show and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to What's Happening in 40K. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'd also really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and recommending us to all your gaming buddies. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe for more great content from What's Happening in 40K. We'll be back next time with even more news, updates, and opinions from the world of Warhammer 40,000. Until next time, thanks for listening.